Welcome to the Birthful Podcast. I'm Adriana Lozada, and on today's Friday Birthful Story, I'll be talking with Margot Fox about her challenging vaginal birth that included trying all the natural things to avoid a medical induction, navigating disappointing vaginal checks, and reluctantly getting an epidural. And yet, she persisted. Stay tuned. This episode of Birthful is brought to you by Simply Breastfeeding, a prenatal breastfeeding course to help nursing parents feel confident with their newborns. Learn more at birthful.com slash simplybreastfeeding and use the code birthful for 15% off. This episode of Birthful is also brought to you by Expectful, an evidence-based guided meditation app created specifically for those trying to conceive, pregnant, or new moms. Learn more and sign up for a free two-week trial at expectful.com slash birthful. The Birthful Podcast, talking to new parents to inform your intuition. Hello, mighty parents and parents-to-be. Thanks again for all the love you give the show. And if you like what you hear, then make sure you subscribe so you don't miss a thing. To best support this podcast, do support its sponsors, which in today's case are Simply Breastfeeding and Expectful. Also, if you want to truly prepare for the first few weeks with your newborn and know what to expect from your baby and how to figure out the baby you got and your identity as a new parent, all sorts of really good things, then go to birthfulcourses.com to sign up for my Thrive With Your Newborn online postpartum preparation classes. Do it now before baby arrives. All right. Today, I have the treat of talking with fellow Rochester dweller and birth junkie, Margot Fox. That's the Rochester in New York, if you wanted to know. And she's going to share the trials and tribulations of her ultimately empowering birth story. So welcome, Margot. So glad to have you here. Hi, thank you so much. I'm excited. Yeah, thanks for wanting to share your story. And before we start, get, jump deep into the story. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, okay, so my name is Margot. Um, I have a six-month-old son. His name is James. Um, my husband and I have been married about a year and a half. His name is Jeff. Uh, we live in Rochester, New York, a suburb of Rochester, um, right in the village of Pittsburgh. Which we didn't know when yeah. I didn't know when you <laughs> reached out to me that we were in the same city. So yeah, crazy. and when I started listening to your podcast, I didn't know you were from Rochester either. So I think that's pretty awesome. Yay. Yeah. Uh, my husband and I were both born and raised here, so we love it here. And yeah, um, I, I primarily uh, stay home with my son, but I also nanny part time for two little boys that are four and seven. Um, and that's really awesome because I can bring James with me to work and still get to work a little bit. And yeah, it's great. Yeah, I love that you have that flexibility. It's so important. It, it, it you yeah. know, it, it reminds me of that whole thing of it's like adapting the village concept. Yeah, to, for sure. Yeah, that we kind of tend to not want to see babies out in the in the wild. And it's like, no, people have babies. You should be able to carry them around and bring them to your stuff. For sure. Yeah, he's been out and about. I went back to work when he was like six weeks old. So he's he's been out and about for a while. <laughs> cool. So let's go, let's go back a year and so ago. And when you found out you were pregnant, like what were your thoughts about birth at that time? And what were your wishes for your birth? So I found out that I was pregnant on my 26th birthday, which was really awesome. Good gift. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, we had been on vacation the week before and I like kind of thought I was, but I, I just thought, oh, I'll wait till I get home and it'll be an exciting birthday present if I am. So I took one that morning, like, you know, 6am and I like run into the room and tell my husband and he's half asleep. But, um, yeah, we were both, both really excited. Um, I, I kind of always prepared for, for birth. I have sisters that have babies and, um, yeah, I just, I was like super excited to experience it. So Mm -hmm. yeah, finding out, finding out was, was amazing. Um, so how, what did you do once after you knew you were pregnant? What, what did you do to start to prepare for the birth labor itself? So I found out that I was pregnant when I was literally three and a half weeks pregnant. So I called the doctor and they were like, oh, you don't come in until like eight weeks. And I was like, oh, wow. You know, Isn't that such a weird? For the next month and a half. <laughs> right? Isn't that the weird? I remember that. And it was such a weird feeling. Like, like yeah. but wait, what? aren't we supposed to be doing things right now? <laughs> yeah, it was like this limbo. And I, I have a really big family. My husband has a really big family. It was right before Christmas. So I was like, there's no way that I can keep this a secret until six weeks from now when we have our first doctor's appointment. So um, we told everyone pretty early. Um, my sister was also pregnant. We were due five weeks apart from each other. So she had kind of just told the family that she was pregnant too. And that was really exciting. She was a month ahead of me. Um, so I talked to her a lot. This was her second baby. Um, and then another sister also had had a baby. So initially, I kind of just talked to them a lot about it. Um And I I started to do like a little bit of research, but I figured I'd wait until my doctor's appointment. Um, And, you know, it was a long, it was a long month and a half. It was exciting, but I had this like, you know, you're just nervous until you know that everything's okay. Um, I had a really good, good feeling about it. So I, you know, I, I feel strongly about like having, having feelings one way or another. And it it just, it felt real to me. So Mm. Um, it was a long six weeks waiting, but but once the appointment got there and I saw his heartbeat and it was it was just amazing. So oh, I bet. And I love that you had your sister was five weeks ahead because I so yeah. a really good friend of mine was about the same five weeks ahead pregnant for me and it was lovely and it wasn't her first baby, so it was lovely to have sort of a pregnancy mentor like somebody. For sure. that- to hit those milestones before me and tell me about it. Yeah. And then a couple of months later, uh, we found out that my sister-in-law was also pregnant, my husband's sister. So I was kind of that mentor to her. So that was cool. And and my son would have two cousins within a couple of months of each other on either side. So it was, it was a really exciting time. That's super fun. Very cool. Yeah. So Did you take any childbirth education classes? Did you read any books? What kind of team did you put together? Yeah. So I um, had switched to my OB's office like right right before I got pregnant um, because my sisters uh, went to that practice and they uh, deliver at the hospital here in Rochester that's, you know, very well known for maternity care. So I switched to that office because I knew you know, that I was getting married soon and that when we had babies, this is where I'd want to be. So um, I met with my primary doctor at my 10-week appointment. 
Um, and it was my first time meeting her. Uh, the practice is an all women's group. Um, and it's a mix of OBs and midwives. Um, and you're assigned a primary, but you know, it's whoever's on call is the one that delivers you. So, um, you know, you're encouraged to meet everyone, but I had just like had an instant connection with my primary at our first appointment. And, um, she's actually a friend of the family that I nanny for. The parents are both doctors at this hospital and they're friends with my primary primary. And I don't know, it just made me feel really comfortable. And I just knew like, I wanted to have a hospital birth with this practice, but, um, I really wanted to do it unmedicated. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so I, my sister actually recommended your podcast. So I started listening to your podcast and I, um, discovered, uh, the birth hour podcast later on in my pregnancy, but, um, I listened to your podcast a lot. I watched, you know, the business of being born and like a couple other, uh, documentaries on Netflix. And then I read a few books. Um, I read Expecting Better, which was really good. I, I liked that book a lot. It was kind, It's kind of like a real take on what to expect when you're expecting, which I read that too just because I felt like I should, but um, Expecting Better was great. Um, and then I read a lot of books on um, actual labor. So I read um, this one book called Laboring Well, which was written by an OB um, – or uh, not an OB, I'm sorry, a labor and delivery nurse. So it was just like a lot of different birth stories. Um, and that was, that was a really good book too. So I did, I did a lot of that kind of research and just like talking to my mom who had had, I'm one of six and my mom had had six unmedicated births and yeah, I just, I just knew that that's what I wanted. So fabulous. So fast forward to end of pregnancy, how did labor start? So it's kind of interesting, the end of my pregnancy. So um, when I was about 25 weeks pregnant, uh, we found out that my husband had atrial fibrillation, which is basically uh, a irregular heart rhythm. So he, it was kind of a long process to figure out like what he needed to do in order to fix this. And he ended up having to get this thing called a cardiac ablation, which is you know, a not, it's a procedure, like a non-invasive surgery. And it ended up being scheduled when I was 38 weeks pregnant. <laughs> so that was a little bit nervous, nerve wracking. Um, mm. I, I had my mom on call for when he was in the hospital. Um, and I, I was so nervous that I was going to go into labor early. And my sister had just delivered my nephew 14 days past due. So she was like, I don't think you have to worry about going into labor at 38 weeks. And I was like, well, if you delivered late, like I'm definitely not going to deliver late. So I just had it in my mind that I was going to go early. And my mom would say, oh, I think I think you're going to go early. I just have a feeling. I have a gut feeling. So I ended up not going into labor early. Around 39 and a half weeks, I woke up like really feeling different. And I had a really easy pregnancy. I was super active during my pregnancy I ran up until I was like 32 weeks pregnant. I walked every day after that. Um, I I just felt really good a lot of the time. And this one morning I woke up and I was like, wow, like I feel horrible. I was super swollen and I had really bad back pain. So I thought like this has got to be it. 
Um, and I had a doctor's appointment and she was like, oh, this sounds like early labor. Like I wouldn't be surprised if you go into labor this weekend, which was my due date. And just a side note, my due date was the weekend of my husband and I, our first anniversary. So I was like so excited about the idea of, you know, having an anniversary baby. So I literally was like sitting around all weekend, just like waiting for this to happen (laughs) and it didn't happen. So. Uh, I started doing all these like labor inducing things, like all the natural things. Um, Our doctor's office lets us go go to 42 weeks, but I was like, I just did not want to be induced. So I, I like was Googling things all the time and I, I, um, yeah. What did you do? (laughs) When I tell people this, they think I'm so crazy because the list is like so incredibly long and I wrote it down. So I'm going to look at it right now. Yeah, go for it. And I think like, it's. I mean, when you get to that point, you're like, oh, I got to make some, you'll do whatever is, yeah, whatever. And I had my sister in my ear saying like, well, none of it worked for me. So, (laughs) and I was like, well, maybe it'll work for me. I'm going to try it anyways. So I went for really long, hilly walks every day. Sometimes I would go on walks twice a day just because I needed to pass the time. And at this point, this is the middle of August in Rochester. It was really hot. I was huge. I gained like 60 pounds when I was pregnant. So I was just enormous walking around these like hilly walks. Like it was just ridiculous. Um, I Every morning I made a pineapple date smoothie um, with cinnamon and apparently pineapples, dates and cinnamon are all supposed to help you go into labor. And I literally had that smoothie every day for like three weeks and it did nothing. (laughs) Um, I used a yoga ball all the time. Like I, I Pinterested like all these exercises to do. Um, I was taking evening primrose oil, red raspberry leaf tea. Um, I went to acupuncture Um, I went to the chiropractor, which I did throughout like my whole second and third trimester, but she started doing trigger point work, which was supposed to help. Um, and then I also went to this, um, like foot massage place that's, that is, you know, known to do reflexology that's supposed to help induce labor. Um, we had sex. I did jumping jacks, which was just absurd. Um, squats. Uh, we ate a lot of spicy food, a lot of eggplant. I went to yoga, I went swimming, and I did meditation, and nothing worked. <laughs> wow. And it, yeah, I can hear you saying your list, and I'm going like, I know, it's yeah. so, so tough, because it's just going to happen when it happens. Ugh, yeah, so hard. Crazy. Now, so- wait, before you tell me more of what, what, what did end up working or, or happening, let's take a quick <laughs> break. We'll okay. be right back. Breastfeeding, it may be natural, but that sure does not mean it's easy. It's a learning process for both you and baby, and like most learning processes, it takes a lot of trial and error. However, this trial and error can sometimes come with a lot of crying, and not necessarily only from your baby. Help lessen the crying and frustration by arming yourself with some solid knowledge. A great way to prepare for this is by taking the Simply Breastfeeding online class created by breastfeeding experts Cindy and Jana. In their class, you'll learn to recognize what your baby is telling you and how to meet your baby's needs starting in the very first hour after birth. You'll also understand the basics of breastfeeding and be able to return to them if you encounter difficulties, and you'll feel confident knowing the answers to most frequently asked questions. Lessen your anxiety and frustration and relax knowing you've got this. Go to birthful.com slash simply breastfeeding to learn more. 
And as a Birthful listener, you get 15% off if you use the code BIRTHFUL when you register. Go to birthful.com slash simply breastfeeding or click the link on the show notes to get you on your way. And we're back talking with Margot Fox about her birth story and experience. So, you know, you were doing all these things to try to induce. Nothing was working. Then what happened? So at 41 weeks exactly, I was out for a walk on the canal with my mom and I ran into my primary OB, which was awesome. And she said, so this was a Saturday and she said, that she was on call on Tuesday. And I was thinking like, oh, wow, how great would this be? But then also in my head, I'm like, wow, I would be 41 and a half weeks pregnant at that time. Like, I hope it happens before then. But um, Monday morning, I woke up and I was 41 weeks and two days. And I thought my water may have broken. Um, And it wasn't like a lot but that had happened to my sister, like it was a slow trickle. So I thought I'd call and they had me come in and turns out I had just peed my pants. So that was lovely. Um, Not embarrassing at all. (laughs) No, not at all. Um, But they hooked me up to have a non-stress test and I was having like some minor contractions, but nothing strong enough that could be considered anything. And I just was like feeling super defeated at this point. It was my last scheduled appointment. So they said that the next day the nurse would call me to schedule my induction for 42 weeks, the night before 42 weeks. Um, And I was just, you know, feeling super sorry for myself and whatever. So we leave the appointment and my husband decided to stop and get a haircut. And um, next door to the barber shop was a GNC. So I went inside and bought clary sage oil, which I had heard read online that that is, you know, supposed to be labor inducing and um, put some on and then had to go back that afternoon for an ultrasound. Um, And at the ultrasound, uh, everything looked good. My fluid was good and everything. Um, And they guessed that my baby was going to be eight pounds and seven ounces. And they said, he's nice and cozy in there. You know, hopefully he comes on his own, but if he doesn't, that's okay too. And she, you know, was trying to calm me down. And I remember saying to her, like, cause she said, you know, the weight measurement can be off by one pound either way. So I remember saying to her like, Oh my gosh, I, well, I hope I don't have a nine pound baby. Like that would be awful. I'm like, I'm already this late. Like, don't give me a big baby too. So that, that will come up later on in the story. Okay. <laughs> um, so anyways, that afternoon I went to meditation class. Um, and I, it was just me in the class. So I was chatting a little bit with the instructor and she had a six week, six week old and had just been induced and she had a natural birth and, um, she just like really helped calm me down. And then, um, and just made me feel better to like hear a positive induction story. Cause I just in my head, I was like, this is what's going to end up happening to me. Um, so we start the meditation and I, literally one minute in, I felt this strong, painful contraction. And I, I thought to myself, wow, like this, this is what they mean. Like when they say that, you know, that this was definitely a contraction, there's no denying that. <laughs> And then about 20 minutes later, at the end of meditation, I felt another one. And I was like, okay, wow, like this could be happening. Keep in mind, this is only two contractions, but I had felt nothing for 41 and a half weeks. So just a little something made me feel better. Of course. Yeah. (laughs) So I just wanted to get my mind off of it. I decided to go for another long walk and I listened to a birthful podcast birth story 
again, which helped me relax, keep my mind off of it. We went over to my in-laws for dinner that night. Um, I wanted to, we have a pool, but they have a great like water walking pool. So we decided to go over there so I could like walk some laps in their pool. Um, and at this point, my contractions were, I wasn't timing them, but they were closer together, like probably 16 to 18 minutes apart. Um, and I told him not to say anything to his mom, but you know, of course he did without me knowing. <laughs> um, and around eight that night I said to Jeff, I was like, okay, I think that this is happening. Like we, we should probably get going. And his mom insisted on, on taking a photo of us cause she, you know, knew that I was having contractions and thought in her head that that would be the last picture of me pregnant. And she was right. So um, we get back home and I fell asleep for a little bit. And then around 10 or 11, I woke up um, from a contraction and I tried to lay in bed and fall back asleep. And they were just coming more frequent. And there, there was just no way that I was going to fall back asleep feeling these. So I made the rookie mistake of going out into the living room so I could let my husband sleep for the night. So I went out into the living room and I kind of went back and forth from the living room to taking a bath. And I put clary sage oil in the bath and was doing nipple stimulation in the bath to try to intensify the contractions and was, you know, listening to another birthful podcast episode, um, listening to birth stories just, you know, kind of pumped me up. <laughs> I love it. Yay. Yeah. Um, so I actually didn't realize that taking a bath can slow down labor until like listening to stories afterwards. Um, but, uh, I, it felt really good. So mm -hmm. I, I stayed in the bath. Um, and I, you know, I'd go in there for an hour and then go back out to the living room and bounce on the yoga ball. I was trying to lay on the couch and get some rest, but I just, there was no way. And by 1am I started timing contractions and they were about seven minutes apart by 1am. So they were, I thought they were pro progressing, you know, pretty quickly. It had been like 10 hours at this point since I felt my first contraction. Um, and so I, I figured this was happening. They're getting closer together. Um, they're starting to be painful. Like I'm moaning between them. Like I was surprised I wasn't waking my husband up. Um, and I thought to myself, like, I should eat something because we're going to go to the hospital in the morning and they're not going to let me eat. So I had cereal, went back in the bath. Um, and by, I, I would say by like 3 or 4 a.m., my contractions were more like four or five minutes apart. And I knew the five one one rule, but I, I really wanted to labor at home as long as possible. So, um, I tried to hold out longer and I, I was using this contraction timer app and it kept alerting me like, go to the hospital, go to the hospital. I hate and those. I, was, I know. Well, <laughs> and, and so I'm thinking to myself like, oh wow, like I'm really, I'm really killing it here. Like they're telling me to go to the hospital and I'm staying home. Like I'm doing so awesome. And, uh, I, I told myself, okay, I'm going to wait until the morning to wake my husband up. And like, that seems like a reasonable time. And so I just kept staring at the clock, like just waiting for it to be the morning so I could let myself go to the hospital because I just knew that I was in labor. Um, and at this point, my contractions had been five minutes apart or less for several hours. Um, and it get, so it gets to be like 6 a.m. I wake Jeff up um, and called the hospital and they were like, okay, come right in. So another side note is I had, um, tested positive for the group B strep. So I had to be on antibiotics for four hours before 
I delivered. Mm -hmm. So I like actually kind of had this nervous feeling of like, oh, wow, like maybe I'm pushing it too far, like staying home. It's been over 12 hours at this point. You know, I, I should get there. So we uh, made coffee protein shakes just to have like one last little bit of energy, um, grabbed our bags and headed to the hospital um, and got there around 7 a.m., which was a shift change. So that added a layer of complications. We were kind of out in the waiting room for a while and I was like having contractions and there was like all these people in there like, you know, waiting to meet their grandchildren or whatever. And I'm like awkwardly laboring right next to them. And they like weren't admitting me into triage or getting me into triage. And yeah, that's a great point you make of, of for like people to ask when shift changes at yeah. their hospital and, and just keep that in mind. Yeah, yeah, I would have totally just waited another 30 minutes to an hour um, at home if I could. Um, so anyways, I finally got into triage and the midwife on call came in to check me and I was two centimeters dilated. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I was definitely in labor, but it was way earlier than I expected. I, I kind of thought I was going to be like a four or five and hearing two was a little, little defeating, but I just tried to stay positive. I was like, at least I'm in labor. At least I'm in labor. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Um, so they suggested I walk around and I spent the next hour or so walking. Um, and we didn't want to tell anyone that we were at the hospital until we were officially admitted, but we decided to call our moms to let them know. Um, and while we were in the hallway, I ran into my primary doctor and I had totally forgotten it was Tuesday and she was on call. So that was amazing. Um, and she was just starting a 24 hour shift. So I was like, oh wow, like she's definitely going to deliver my baby. This is so great. And, you know, we were talking in the hall as much talking as I could do. And um, she said, although I'm only two centimeters, I guess I had had high blood pressure and pretty um, consistent contractions. So she said she was going to admit me. Um, so, you know, about an hour later, um, they admitted me. Um, I had, you know, feelings of I wish I had stayed home longer or wish they had let me go home to labor for a little bit. But it also felt like good to be at the hospital. Like I felt like, okay, this is happening. Um, so I was excited and, um, you know, not feeling the full on contractions yet. <laughs> so I was still like, you know, blissful and excited at this point. Mm. And before you continue, let's take another break. Okay. Um, because I'm guessing things are gonna start ramping up. That's yeah. just my guess. <laughs> we'll be right back. Mighty Ones, want to know my solution for resetting my nervous system? It's meditation. But you might be asking, what is so great about resetting your nervous system? Well, if your nervous system spends more time in high alert and doesn't get back to a baseline often, then your body is in constant state of stress, which is, of course, not healthy. I have quite a bit of sustained stress in my life, and so I find that meditating is a super easy way to make sure I break up those stress signals. You may be thinking, that sounds great, but I have no time to meditate. The good news is that if you have 10 minutes, then you have time to meditate. And it becomes even easier when you use a meditation app like Expectful. I have tried other meditation apps, and I really like how the Expectful app is designed to fulfill your pregnant or new parent needs by focusing on whatever you need at that moment. Whether it's better sleep, connection with baby and partner, embracing your identity, lessening stress, dealing with uncertainty, Expectful makes it super easy for you. 
Plus, I really love the voice of the person who reads the meditations. Go to expectful.com slash birthful to sign up for their free two-week trial and check it out for yourself. Don't forget to add the slash birthful part so they know who sent you. And we're back talking with Margot Fox. So you've been admitted. What happened next? So we got into the room and it was about 9 a.m. And I had asked for a room with a bath. So I went right into the bath um, because the water just felt really good for me, like throughout all of my early labor. Um, And things started to pick up um, while I was in the water, but I was really trying to keep my hands and jaw relaxed. Um, The nurse was checking on me periodically, but it was mostly just me and Jeff in the room. Um, I was definitely being like more vocal at this point. And at one point the nurse came in and she put her hand on my stomach to feel the intensity of the contractions. And she just looked at me and said, sweetie, these are going to get a lot worse. And, and I felt kind of irritated by that. Cause I was like, what, you know, what are you trying to say? Like, uh, am I not handling this? Well, like, you know, I'm in labor and I'm just doing what feels right. And I, I, I think she was saying it because she was doubting me, like, being able to do it naturally. And it was kind of her way of saying like, it's going to get worse. So you might as well just get the epidural now without actually saying it because I had told them in triage, I didn't want anyone to offer it to me. Mm. And, um, yeah, so that was just kind of a speed bump, but anyways, around 11 or so, I started to feel like a little bit of pressure and I just, I was feeling like worse. So the nurse wanted to get me out um, and have my OB check me because she was thinking maybe I was progressing fast and I had to be on that medication for four hours. So they wanted to hook me up to the group B strep antibiotics. Um, And they checked me and I was four centimeters. So definitely an active labor. Things were intensifying. And I I had gone from two to four pretty quick, like in about three hours. So I was feeling really good. I was like, oh, wow, like, you know, things are moving along, things are happening. And then my nurse and my OB just kind of, uh, left, left us alone to labor. Um, actually one, one thing that I, I forgot to mention was that they wanted to break my water, which I had always said beforehand, I didn't want them to do, but in the moment I was like, I just, you know, whatever, like just do it. So she goes to break it and said it had already broken. Um, which I didn't realize it must have happened in the bath and I just didn't feel anything. Mm. Um, so anyways, the next several hours, um, I labored just in the room on, um, the yoga ball. And one like minor kind of funny thing was I was like anti hospital gown. Like I just had on like a sports bra and I was and and literally like any time someone came in, they'd be like, do you want me to grab you a hospital gown? And I'd be like, no, like I'm good. You know, I, I don't want to wear that. It's not comfortable. And it, it was just, it's funny to me looking back how many people asked me if they, if I wanted to wear one. And I was like, no, like I don't have it on for a reason. Like right. I, it's it not like, Oh my goodness, off. what could I wear? There's nothing. I'll just wear nothing. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. And I was like, it's just me and my husband in here. Like I'm good. Um, so anyways, I, although the tub felt great, I really wanted to save it for transition. I had had a friend a couple of months prior that had delivered, um, uh, naturally and, uh, spent transition in the tub. And she said like that, that that was super helpful. So I kind of wanted to save it for that. Um, 
So I was feeling like super crampy and I couldn't stand up straight. I was definitely having really intense contractions or like every two to three minutes. I just felt like I wasn't having much of a break. Um, and, and one thing that was really unpleasant about my labor was that I was having to go to the bathroom a lot. Number two, like cleaning my system out. And Mm -hmm. like, I probably went like five or six times, which was (laughs) just awful. It was like super uncomfortable. Like standing up and walking to the bathroom was like, such a process and sitting down on the toilet. I, I I literally didn't know what to do with myself. And I remember saying to my husband, like, I don't know what to do. Like, is it weird if I just poop standing up like on the floor? Like, I don't know what to do. Like, it's so disturbing to admit that out loud, but it was, it was just awful. And I know, I know some people like think laboring on the toilet feels good. And I actually thought that I would be one of those people. And I was totally not one of those people. (laughs) It was just, I I could not find a comfortable spot, but I finally kind of got into my groove on the yoga ball. And I felt like, okay, this is awful. Um, And it definitely hurt. But I was like, it's pain with a purpose. I was handling it like I can do this. Um, the hardest part for me was the exhaustion. I hadn't slept all night. Um, it was the middle of the afternoon and I had been awake since 7 a.m. the day before. So I was definitely starting to feel the effects of being tired and less of the excitement feeling that I was feeling in the morning. (laughs) Um, but I got kind of into a rhythm on the yoga ball. I stacked pillows in front of me, like on the bed, and I was like leaning forward, and my husband was massaging my back, which was great. Um, And I started focusing on breathing, which was something that I had learned doing meditation, like the weeks leading up to my birth. And um, I got into like very deep breathing. And eventually I got to the point where where I was falling back and going limp on my husband and actually like falling asleep (laughs) and snoring on him. Mm. And I fall asleep for like, you know, 20 seconds or whatever, and then wake up and kind of jump up and, and be in this like loud moaning pain. And I just felt I felt horrible, but I was like, okay, like I'm handling this. I'm doing this. I was trying to keep my hands relaxed, my jaw relaxed, because I had read that helps your cervix relax and dilate. And I just, I thought I was doing everything right. And I, the nurse had come in, my OB had come in and they were saying like that this was a great laboring position. And I just, I, I felt like things were moving along. So my OB was like super present during my labor, which I thought was great. Um, she really had a great way of calming me. I, I just, I really liked her and I, I think she was amazing and I just hope that she can deliver all of my babies. (laughs) But, um, around three or four, she came in to check me and I was sort of out of it at this point. Um, but I thought I had to be close to transition if not in transition. And so I wanted her to check me And I, you know, I was feeling good at this point. And then I hear her say the dreaded words, you're the same. Mm. You're still four centimeters. After like five hours. And that was hard to take. I was going over this with my husband a couple days ago and I started crying and he was like, you can't cry. (laughs) But it's still, 
it's still hard for me six months later. Of course. I mean, you were doing such focused, intense work that was requiring your full attention. And, you know, you were so exhausted. It makes sense that that was hard and defeating. Yeah. Yeah. It, and I just, I couldn't believe it. Like, I was like, I went from two to four really quickly. Like, my contractions are way more intense than they were, early, you know, earlier on. And I had been in labor for like over 24 hours at this point you know, active labor for however many hours. But, you know, from the first contraction I felt was the day before at 3 p.m. And there was just no end in sight. And I just was thinking to myself, like, how am I going to keep going? Like, how I can't do this for another 24 hours. Like, I'm just so exhausted. And my OB said to me, Margo, like, why, why are you against having an epidural? And I, I mean, I was in active labor. My, my response was, well, I just don't want to have a C-section. And she looked at me and she was like, I am not worried about you having a C-section. She's like, I'm, I'm worried about how exhausted you are. And I had, you know, plenty of other reasons. Like I wanted to do it naturally. I wanted to be able to move around. I didn't want my legs to be numb. I wanted the experience of a natural labor. I was terrified of having a catheter. Like that totally freaked me out. And, you know, ultimately I didn't want the cascade of interventions that an epidural can lead to like Pitocin and then ending up having to have a C-section. Um, but not wanting a C-section was really the only thing I could get out. And I think I mentioned earlier, like that at our practice, you're encouraged to meet all of the OBs. So like all of my appointments were with different people. Like I had my primary and I had appointments with her, obviously, but I met everyone else. And I just didn't think, to, I didn't think it was necessary to like tell every OB that I wanted to have a natural labor. Like because I, I was like, how are they going to remember this? Like, and it was written in my chart because um, at our office, you have like a third trimester talk with the nurse and you like talk about your birth plan. So it was in my chart, but I had never, and I had a birth plan, which was in my bag. I never got it out, but I had never like had a conversation with my OB about wanting to have a natural labor. So although I had all of these reasons in my head, she didn't know them and you know, the conversation came up while I was in active labor and I wasn't thinking rationally at this point. So anyways, she was, she said that she was very confident I'd have a, a vaginal delivery, but she was like, you're 10, pa 10 days past your due date. You're, you know, this has been a long labor. You haven't slept. And she's like, in my opinion, I think the best thing for you to do is get an epidural so you can get some rest. I'm worried that if you don't get rest, you know, this could take however long and you won't have energy to push him out. And that's all I could think of. Like, I can't go through all of the labor and then end up not having energy to push him out during, during the pushing phase. And, and thinking in that moment about trying to push a baby out, it was like, oh my God, like, I don't have energy for this. Like, I can't do this. So I looked at my husband and I was just like, I, I said, what do I do? I don't know what to do. And, and he just said, I'll, I'll support whatever you want. And he started crying too, because obviously seeing me in pain and knowing that I was about to make a decision that I didn't want, but 
it felt like in the moment that it was something that I had to do. So I, I just kind of put my head down and shook my head. Yes. And was like, okay, fine. Just do it. Just do it. Like, let's get this over with. So, um, like an hour later, maybe it was less than that. They came in to give me the epidural and that, I mean, that experience was just awful. Yeah. It wasn't, I wouldn't say it was painful, but you know, it's unpleasant and it was obviously a very emotional experience for me if I'm still crying about it six months later. Mm-hmm. Um, and truly the catheter was the most awful part. And the nurse kept saying like, I can't believe like you can feel this catheter. And I was like, take it out. I was like, I feel the urge to pee. Like I will just pee in the bed. Like it's okay. Like, please take it out. Please take it out. My husband just brought me tissues. <laughs> um, and she went, she couldn't do it. She wouldn't do it. And, and she thought like, she was saying like, it's so weird that you're feeling this. Like people don't feel this. And I don't know if it was because like in my mind, I knew that it was there and that's why I could feel it. Or if I could just actually feel it because, um, initially the epidural only took on my left side. So they had to come back in and like move me to my right side. So they, epidural would move over to my right side and they put like a big peanut ball between my legs yeah and the epidural works a lot by gravity yeah so yeah trying to infuse that other side yeah so it ended up you know working and they it moved over and they started giving me pitocin which also made me upset because I was like you didn't even ask me like you can't like why like why are you just giving me this without saying anything and she was like well you know we have to because now that you have the epidural, your contractions are slowing. But she, this, by this point, I had a different nurse, and my second nurse was awesome, and I, I loved her, and she was there throughout the rest of my labor, and like with me right after my son was born. Um, and she just calmed me down and was like, "I'm giving you a really low dose. Like your contractions, even with the epidural, are still pretty close together, but we want to keep it, you know, consistent to what it was before." And I was like, "Okay, whatever. Like just do it." Um. And then at one point I was checked after I got the epidural and I was five and a half centimeters. So like in that, you know, 20 minutes or whatever, I went from four to five and a half. So clearly like it helped me relax initially and, um, or yeah, I, maybe I went that, I went, went that far before even getting the epidural and didn't know it. I don't know. But, um, at this point there was kind of like a calm in the room and I eventually fell asleep. Um, and I woke up probably 45 minutes later and I just felt so much pressure and I was feeling this like horrible pain in my right, right side, my right lower back. And I thought it was because I was laying on my right side. So, um, you know, they helped move me over onto my back. They checked me and I was eight or eight and a half centimeters, but my OB was like pretty concerned that I was feeling all this pain. And she was like, are you feeling your contractions? And I was like, I think so. Like it definitely hurts. Like I know that they're happening. And she started noticing like me changing, like I was not talking through them and I was just like in pain. And you know, when you have an epidural that's only been in for an hour and a half, like you shouldn't be feeling this pain. So the anesthesia 
anesthesiologist came back in to um, give me more medicine and they checked the epidural site first and realized that it had migrated into my blood vessel. So it was no longer working. It wasn't in the epidural spot. It had moved over somehow when they were moving me. And she basically said, um, well, if we give you more medicine, you could have a seizure. So we can't, we can't give you more. So we're going to take, we're, we're going to take it out and give you another one. And I Mm -hmm. was like, no way. Nope. I, I am not getting another epidural. Like this is bullshit. (laughs) I was like, I'm, I was just mad. I was like, I did this. I didn't want it. It didn't work initially. And then it worked. And now this happened. Like it just, it just made me mad more than anything. And I had, I asked for my OB to come back in and I was just talking to her about it. And I was like, what, you know, what should I do? And she was like, you're close enough. Like, you know, you don't need to get another epidural. Like I'm going to check you again. Cause maybe it had been like 20 or 30 minutes had passed by this point, just by the time, you know, they were coming in and, and whatever. So she checked me again and I was nine to nine and a half centimeters. So keep in mind, this is like three out, I don't know, two or three hours after, after checking me and finding out that I was still four centimeters. So I had gone from four to nine and a half with the epidural in just a couple of hours. Mm-hmm. So, and, and at this with point, with a not I'd, so great epidural, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And one that was no longer functioning. Like, I don't, I don't think they took it out, but it definitely wasn't hooked up to anything because they couldn't give me anything. I can't remember if they took the thing out in my back or not until afterwards. I don't, I don't remember that, but, um, I, I was starting to have feeling in my legs and I was feeling the contractions at this point. And so my OB was like, okay, like, I think you can start pushing. I can manually dilate you the rest of the way. Cause you just have a lip and I, when you have a contraction, I can kind of push it out of the way. So I was like, um, okay, like, I guess let's do this. And you know, just the idea of like, wow, like I'm about to push my baby out was like, incredibly emotional and I was really scared and really nervous it had obviously been a long day and I was crying and I just you know was nervous and excited and a mix of emotions and my husband calmed me down and my OB calmed me down and she just said like Margo you can do this you're gonna meet your baby soon like let's do this and I was like all right let's do this so they laid me flat on my back which was not ideal but you know, I'd had this epidural, so I couldn't be up. Like I had envisioned doing using like a squat bar or at least like sitting up. I don't or being on my side or something. But I, you know, at this point, I was just too tired to like argue or say anything. And I just, you know, kind of laid there and started pushing. And she like coached me how to push, but I kind of like picked it up and like got into my own pushing rhythm pretty quick. She was like. My OB was like amazing during the pushing pushing stage. She was super encouraging. She was super like involved. She had like her hands up there and was like, push right here, like right where you feel my fingers. And that was like super helpful because I didn't know what I was doing. Um, and I don't know if I mentioned, but when I had woken up from my nap, like I just felt this like horrible, horrible pain in my the right side of my back. And so they were putting um, heat on it and massaging it and um, – and pushing felt like it felt good, but it was so tiring and so depleting. And then when I was resting, I had this pain in my back and I was just like, wow, like this, 
this is awful. Like I just, I wasn't getting any relief. Like I feel like some people enjoy pushing cause they feel like they get like a break and I just did not feel that at all. So anyways, it felt like it had been forever. I was literally yelling, like, is it almost over? Like, can you see his head? Is he almost here? Like, can you just pull him out? Um, one other thing I didn't mention was while I was in labor, like I definitely had those crazy thoughts in my head of like, wow, like I'll never have another baby. Like, how do people do this more than once? Like, I wonder if I should just ask for a C-section because this is horrible. And, you know, I think a lot of people like go through those feelings while they're in labor. Mm -hmm. Um, but anyway, so I know I had my eyes closed, like pretty much the entire time I was pushing. But at one point I noticed my doctor getting up and I looked up and she was putting scrubs on. So I was like, Oh wow. Like this is happening. Like he's coming out like any second. And I was like, how long, how long? And she just kept saying like, I can't tell you how long, but he's close. He's close. And then a couple of minutes later, I heard my husband say he has hair. And I was like, Oh my God, you can see him. Like he's coming out soon. And, um, she wanted me to feel his head and I was like, no way, no way. Like just get him out. But she literally like, my husband like took my hand. I think he did anyways. And like, put it down there was like, feel it, feel it. And I touched his head and it was like totally weird, but amazing at the same time. And she was like, give me two more good pushes. And I pushed twice and he still wasn't out. And then I did one more huge push and I felt that ring of fire that I was always so terrified to feel. And his head came out. And then there was like this sense of panic in the room because his head came out, but his shoulders were stuck. So it was probably another like minute or two before, because I think they had to wait for another contraction or something. I don't, I don't remember exactly. Cause I, like I was in bliss at this point thinking it was coming out. And then because his shoulders were stuck, they had to turn him around and literally like my doctor like put her hands up there and pulled him out. And I have never, ever, ever in my life screamed as loud as I did in that moment. And it was so excruciatingly painful. But then he came out and there was this huge gush of fluid and he was on my chest and it was amazing. It was amazing. Oh my God. I like, I look back at pictures. I told my husband, I was like, you need to take pictures. The second he comes out, like, I need to see this you know, I need to be able to look back at this. And I literally look at the pictures all the time. And my husband's like, you're crazy because, you know, I like look like total hell. I've been in labor for 30 hours, but it's just the best moment of my life. And, um, he wasn't crying initially and my husband was like freaking out, but I like wasn't even aware that that was going on and they came up to check him. So I think they were worried he had shoulder dystocia because he had gotten stuck. Um, and like, you know, a minute later or something, he was fine and he started crying and everyone in the room was just like, Oh my God, like he's huge. He's huge. And I, and I couldn't tell, I mean, he was on me and I was like touching him and I like, just remember touching his butt and being like, Oh, he's so cute. But I couldn't see his face because I was laying flat on my back. And that was one thing, like the, my entire pregnancy, like I just kept saying, like, I can't wait to see his face. Like I just, I want to know what he looks like. I can't wait. And I couldn't see. So the nurse said, after a couple of minutes, the nurse said, like, do you want me to pick him up and, and show him to you so you can see his face? And I was like, sure. And then she goes, and can we please weigh him? I was like, what? And they were like, he's so big. Like, can we please weigh him? Everyone in this room is dying to know. And I was like, uh, okay. Like, 
and they're, I'm delivering my placenta at this point. I was just like totally out of it. And then I hear the nurse shout, 10 4. And I was like, what? And they were like, he's 10 pounds, four ounces. And I was like, oh my God, are you serious? Like, that is a big baby. That is a big baby. And I, I mean, I have nothing to compare it to, but <laughs> 10 pounds. It was just crazy. And my husband was like elated. Like he's this big guy, football player, like to have a big 10 pound boy. That was like, I mean, that was it for him. Like he was, he was excited. And, yeah. and you did yeah. it. You did yeah. it. And right? I did it. And, yeah. and yeah, so it was just, it was crazy. And I ended up with a second degree tear, which my OB was like, I mean, for pushing out a 10 pound baby, that that's pretty good. Um, yeah, that and, is not, that is not, yeah. that's very common. Yeah. 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 And um, eventually I was able to sit up and look at him and, you know, seeing his face was just amazing. Like it, it's such a weird feeling to like see, you know, seeing your baby for the first time. It's like you've known them your entire life. Like you recognize them and it's like someone you've just met and it's crazy. Um, and he looked so much like my husband. So that was also weird. Cause I'm like, I feel like I'm staring at you as a baby. Um, so I asked what time he was born. He was born at nine Oh eight PM. So I had been in labor for 30 hours. I pushed for 45 minutes. Um, the pain I felt in my lower back was him moving down into the birth canal so I, I, I mean, I guess it was considered back labor, but it was mostly just, you know, his feet or whatever it was like pushing into my back. When he came out, I felt that huge gush because although my water had broken, it was all like locked up there because he was blocking it from coming out because uh -huh. he was so big. Um, and my OB said he was the biggest baby she had ever delivered vaginally for a first time mom. So that kind of gave me this like badge of honor. <laughs> and I'm glad she got to see that too. Yeah. You yeah. Know? It was, yeah. yeah, totally. I mean, so many people are like, oh, your baby's going to be big. Like we should induce you early and, or whatever. And I'm just like, you can do this. Like, you know, I'm not a small person, but I, you know, I'm like, he came out of me just fine. And at over 10 pounds, you know, like you can do this. And it just, I don't know. I, to this day, like if anyone realizes how big he was at birth they everyone just automatically assumes I have a c-section and it just kind of makes me feel good to be like no I didn't like he came out of me I pushed that baby out and you know it's pretty awesome yeah it sure is and <sighs> you know sometimes I find that it's it has baby's weight has nothing to do with yeah. stuff like I mean a bigger baby will make things a little slower because it's just more mass that yeah. needs to get through yeah. but positioning and and how the head's lying and how it's tilted in the sure. arms that can give way more trouble like I've seen six For pound sure. babies that it's like oh it's because your hand was right there yeah. yeah well and I went to the chiropractor a lot and that was like my thinking too because I know that chiropractor um chiropractic adjustments can help with like baby's positioning um and I did a lot of yoga too, which I you know, I attribute those things to helping. But um mm, Yeah, yeah, for sure. And you did a lot yeah. of walking and lots of movement yeah. to balance your pelvis. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And you know, I look I look back and, you know, although I'm still like emotional about the epidural and um I feel like having such a big baby like kind of balances it out. Like it just 
you know, although I didn't get the natural birth I wanted, I still was able to vaginally deliver my baby. And I realized like it could have gone the other way. Like I, if I had had a different doctor or like, you know, she never, I mean, she definitely like pushed me to get the epidural, but you know, I, I had a slow labor and like, I don't feel like besides getting the epidural, like, I don't think she really like pressured me into anything. And I wouldn't say she pressured me into the epidural. I think she just was trying to talk to me about it. She never made me feel like I had to do it. And it was a, it was a choice I made. And I think next time I'm definitely going to be more like, you know, talkative about it with her and explain to her the reasoning behind it. And, and I know now that like my body does not like an epidural. So it just makes me that much more determined to do it naturally next time. And, you know, although I have negative feelings about that part of my story, I, I feel like it's an experience that I had and I just need to embrace that. And, you know, I have these, these, I went through like a couple of weeks where like, I just was so fixated on it and I just couldn't stop thinking about like, Oh, I wish I didn't do that. I wish I didn't do that. And, you know, I wish I had just waited another hour because maybe in that hour I would have progressed. And maybe it wasn't the epidural that helped me progress. Maybe I was just progressing myself and I would have, I would have still had him at nine o'clock at night. And it's like, that's the thing with labor that's so hard is there's no like end in sight. So it's like, if I knew in my head when she checked me at three or four or whatever, and I was still four centimeters, if I knew he was going to be born five hours later, I would have been like, okay, yeah, no problem. Mm -hmm. But it's like, you don't know, like it could have been another 24 hours. And if I hadn't have gotten it, maybe I would have ended up having a C-section. And it's like, it's just unknown and you don't know. So and that's you have the to thing. do feels I mean, right in that moment. Yeah, exactly. And that... I find that sometimes those vaginal checks can be such a mind game. I totally because... agree. And I've always heard people say that and you say that in your podcast. And I'm like, oh, I just need to know, though. Like, I just need to know. And I wish I didn't. <laughs> it's I... tough because you, yeah. you're the thing is, at that moment when it's so intense and you're you're most exhausted and you're like, as you said, you were flopping between yeah. dealing with moaning with the contraction and then falling into your husband's arm and falling asleep and then 30 seconds later up again where you're in that level of almost trance like you're yeah. in there so deep thinking is difficult and yeah. it, but you want some sort of it's so intense that you're like give me something and even though we don't know anything the let me check you seems to be like I can give you information <laughs> yeah and so we yeah. want to hold on to whatever, whatever gives us like, how much longer is this going to be? And it's, yeah, it's a hard one. And I think, frankly, like, you know, you had that initial bolus of epidural and then, but yeah. then the drip didn't work because right. it wasn't in its place. Like, seriously, I mean, and you've been saying this, you didn't have much of an epidural anyway. Right. Yeah, for sure. And I, and I'm glad. And that was the, that's the other part is, you know, maybe it, Maybe the pushing wasn't as intense because I had had the epidural. I don't, you know, I don't know because I haven't compared it to anything else. But I felt, I mean, I felt, at least felt like I felt everything with pushing. And that is also what I wanted. Like, I wanted to be in it. Like, I didn't want to just be numb and not knowing. But I knew, I knew what was going on. And I could feel him. I don't, I don't know if I could feel him moving like some people say, but I, you know, 
I, I felt in the moment, like it, I wasn't just limp. Like I was able to move my own legs. I got up right after he was born. Like I didn't have to sit in bed and wait because the epidural had already weared off. So as far as like those kinds of things go, that was good that it didn't take. And looking back, like I feel lucky that it didn't work. Like it gave me that 45 minute power nap and then stopped working. And then I was able to kind of feel the rest of it. And, you know, I didn't have any negative side effects from having the medication or anything. So, you know, I feel fortunate for that. Mm. And, you know, the fact that it could have gone like a totally different way, like, you know, you never know what's going to happen. And, and looking back at my experience, getting that epidural was the only part I disliked, you know, I mean, everything else was just, I went into labor naturally, like, 10 day or nine days past my due date, but had him 10 days past. And I, I feel fortunate that I went into labor naturally. I feel fortunate that I had a vaginal delivery. And ultimately, those were the two most important things to me. So I'm glad that those went my way. <laughs> yeah. Oh, me too. I am so glad that it, it worked out and you had, you know, and, and you that, you know what? I'm glad that when they did the ultrasound, they estimated eight pounds. Me too. Because then everybody was like, what oh, if they estimated 10 pounds? Then Thanks. they would have tried to talk me into a, a C-section, I bet. <laughs> Things would have been probably a bit different because, I mean, yeah. and research shows us that the biggest chance of, uh, the, your biggest risk of having a cesarean section for a big baby is your doctor believing that you have a big baby. Yeah. <laughs> it's just the belief, not the actual yeah. any. So because nobody thought that you had a big baby, or yeah, that big, okay. you know, that definitely worked in your favor because yeah. you did it. You Absolutely. Totally did. And now, like, you know, I know I can do it. So even if they tell me my next baby's big, I'm going to be like, okay, well, I can handle it. So <laughs> yeah, your baby, your body has passed a 10 pound four house baby through yeah. through that those hips. So yeah. Yeah. And sure. one of the questions I tend to ask is what you would do differently. But I think you answered it with yeah. the, the epidural part. So one, one thing I think, you know, and obviously my husband and I have to discuss this because I, I will say, like, I don't even know if I gave him enough credit. Like, he was so awesome. <laughs> he was there like every second. Oh, my gosh. I'm so emotional all the time. <laughs> and it did but sound like he was so fantastic. I mean, just now, was, just now, so six months later, <laughs> while you're telling us the story, you were crying and he came in and brought you tissues. Yeah. And like my OB even made a comment about like, you know, him crying when I got the epidural. Like they were like, most men don't do that. Like you've got a good one. And I and I totally do. And um. So he's like super like involved in it. And actually it's funny because my sister-in-law ended up delivering her daughter two and a half months after me. And he was like always texting her and like asking her these questions like about her appointments. And like he was just very involved and it was really cute. And so now our family nickname for him is a doodla. He is the doodla. He's totally a birth junkie. <laughs> yeah. So I told him, I was like, I'm totally saying that in this podcast. And he was like, uh, okay. But yeah, he's into it. And he likes listening to the podcast with me when we're in the car and all that stuff. He may be embarrassed to admit it, but he does. And so as amazing as my doodla is, I do think that having, I think the most difficult part with him being the only one there in the room with me was that, you know, he's so emotionally involved. Like it's his baby too. And it's his wife. Like, 
it's hard to, you know, make like a, I don't know. It's hard to make a decision, like not emotion, not emotionally invested in that moment. So I think that like having a doula there to like help me make those decisions and rationally think instead of emotionally think would be beneficial. So I think that that's definitely something we'd look into next time. Mm, mm. Um, yeah. Somebody to help you hold that space. It's yeah. hard when you're in it to yeah, like, think. Yeah, for sure. It, yeah. And I will say like, I, out of, I had like so many friends that had babies this summer, which was amazing. (laughs) I have like a big group of girlfriends that like all have babies under a year and two of them being my sister and my sister-in-law. But I had like, you know, a group of friends and a lot of them wanted to have natural labors. And my two friends that had natural, no epidurals, both had doulas. And I was like, you know, I think there's evidence to show that even just my, in my small circle, that is evidence enough to prove it to me. So, yeah, I and that, I mean, and you're talking about anecdotal evidence of you and your circle, but there yeah. is clear evidence that so For yeah sure. that how doulas do reduce interventions and reduce the the rate of cesarean sections. Like I was talking to Sharon Muja on a, a an interview podcast, and we were trying to figure out you know she was telling the stats of if you have an induction. Like how many do how many births with doulas do you need to have or how many induction births with a doula do you need to have to prevent a cesarean? And that is nine as opposed wow. to like, so if you have nine births with doulas, you'll prevent a cesarean on an induction. And the numbers for natural birth, like without an induction is like even better, right? Yeah. But, I know this is like a very weird, obscure number, but even the fact like with an induction, if you have a doula, you have a better chance of preventing a cesarean. And I just think like if I was in that position and I had a doula there when they said like you're still four, I think I think they my doula would have said, "Okay, well, these are her reasoning. This is her reasoning. Like I didn't have anyone there to like say those things because my husband is sitting there seeing me in pain. Like he's not going to pull out my my birth plan and say, well, these are the reasons that she doesn't want, you know, and I think that if I had had a doula there, maybe they would have. And maybe my doula would have suggested, let's wait an hour and try a few different things first. And I wish I had done that. That's, or maybe I that guess, birth plan would have come out earlier. Like that discussion would have happened with your doctor beforehand. So not not in that intensity. Who knows? I mean, we're talking hypotheticals. No way to know. Um, But yeah, you did it, though. Yeah, I did did. it. And I, you know, I have nothing but I mean, I have obviously, you know, feelings of I have like some negative feelings, but I, I look back at it and I just think it was amazing. And my son is so perfect and he's such a good baby. Um, he's just so happy mm. all the time. He's in the other room playing with my husband right now. And, I love it. Yeah. Margo, how <laughs> did this experience transform you? Um, wow. It's a, a deep question. <laughs> um, I, I just truly feel like I've always been, I just feel like meant to be a mom and now I am. And, you know, having like a tough road or tough 30 hours to get there, I just makes it makes it feel all that more blissful. And I just feel, you know, lucky every day to be his mom. So Mm. 
Yeah, it's such a special experience for sure. Yeah, yeah. I can't. It, as much as I was not saying this while I was in labor, I can't wait to do it again. My husband's <laughs> sitting here probably like, "Oh my god!" But <laughs> yeah, I. I don't know. I'm the excited. doodle might be into doing it again. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. Um, and I know you. Let's. You know, we're like running long on time, but it's I, fine. It's fine. It's totally fine because this is the the time that you need to do to tell this. Um, but do tell me before we leave a little bit about you know how was that early postpartum in those first few weeks. So, overall, my postpartum experience was wonderful. My son was like a really good sleeper initially. And I think a lot of that was attributed to him being having 10 extra days to cook and having, you know, a big size. I think that helped a lot. Um, and I planned to breastfeed and the first few days of breastfeeding were amazing. And then um, I got really cracked and sore nipples like that I know happens to a lot of people. And I just felt like I spent so much of my pregnancy reading about pregnancy and labor and not enough about breastfeeding. I did take a breastfeeding class. I also took a birth class at the hospital and I thought both of them were very informative, but breastfeeding is one of those things like, you know, you don't know until you've tried, but I do wish I did more than just taking that class. Like, I just feel like I wasn't very prepared for like, you know, I, I had intended to nurse on demand. So I knew enough to do that. Um, but I didn't know like anything about latch. Like I just relied on the nurse at the hospital to help me. And um, the lactation consultant at the hospital like came in to check on me, but never actually watched me nurse. So I thought that was a little weird. Like, cause I think maybe if she had watched, she would have seen that his latch was a little bit off. Um, but anyways, I just think women need to be more informed about, about breastfeeding. And I was lucky that you know, I was determined to breastfeed. Um, my mom breastfed me and my siblings, my sisters breastfed. So I had a lot of like support. Like I had my sisters coming over and helping me, but I will say like around two weeks in, I like hit this wall of like, Oh my God, like I cannot do this. Like, you know, he was nursing like every hour sometimes. So it's like, by the time I felt like I was getting some relief, like he would want to nurse again. And I got to a point where I was like in the middle of the night, just crying. Cause it hurt. And so I decided to pump and bottle feed for a couple of days. I had a meeting with a lactation consultant um, and she recommended that I get this stuff called Apno, which is all purpose nipple ointment. Um, and it's like a prescription thing, but I just called my OB and they forwarded a prescription over at this like natural, like natural pharmacy in the area. Um, so that was like amazing. And I did um, saltwater rinses and that really helped. So I just pumped and bottle fed for like three days and just gave myself time to heal. Um, and I was very fortunate that I actually had like an oversupply. So I was pumping more than what he was eating. So I actually created kind of a stash doing that, um, which was nice. And um, I pace bottle fed so um, he wouldn't have the nipple confusion. And after about like two or three days, I started like I would nurse him you know, 25% of the time in bottle feed 75. And then I slowly added in more nursing sessions. Um, and eventually got to the point that uh, my nipples were healed and I had had more pain on one side than the other. So for a couple of weeks I was nursing on my left side and then I would afterwards pump on my right. <laughs> and I was only nursing him on my left side, which again, I think helped my supply. And I was able to like, you know, bank a lot of milk doing that. Um, and I took 
James to a chiropractor because, um, and she ended up figuring out that he had torticollis and they attribute that to, you know, just not having a lot of room in my belly and, you know, also just, um, like, you know, his shoulders getting stuck coming out and his head being kind of yanked. So I went to the chiropractor a few times. Um, and then I was like watching YouTube videos and like doing everything like on latch and we eventually got it down. Um, and one other thing I should add is I watched that natural breastfeeding video that you always recommend on your show Mm -hmm. and doing, uh, the laid back breastfeeding. And that was like such a lifesaver. Um, it took off like a lot of like the pressure and it made it a lot less painful. Um, so after a few weeks, like we definitely got the hang of it. And then I had kind of another setback because I started having these things called vasospasms, which was a result of the nipple trauma I had. And I mean, when I say nipple trauma, like my nipples were cracked and bleeding so bad. Like it was so excruciating. And I remember like my sister saying to me like, oh, that happened to me the first couple of weeks. And first of all, I was like, why didn't you tell me this? And second of all, like they said, it only happened to the first couple of weeks. And this happened, this was going on for like six to eight weeks for me. And I was like, oh, uh, wow. when is this gonna stop? Like I'm, and every day I literally just set goals. I'm like, tomorrow it'll be better. I'm going to wait until seven weeks. I'm going to wait until eight weeks, like whatever. Like I just was, was setting goals for myself. Um, and I remember the first day, it was actually at my sister's, my sister-in-law's baby shower. I had my first day of, because I, I didn't bring my breast pump with me. So I really, my only option was to nurse him. So I remember that day was like the first day that I just planned to only breastfeed him all day. And it was like my first day of painless breastfeeding. And it was like the most amazing day. Like I came home and I was just so happy. And then I suffered from the vasospasms, which were a couple of weeks, which I don't know if you know what that is, but it was essentially, I mean, it was self-diagnosed, but I did a lot of, I did a lot of like Kelly mom research and that's kind of what I, what I diagnosed myself with. And it's basically, um, restricted blood flow. So like after he was done eating, my nipples were, would turn white and I would feel like shooting pains all through. So I'd have to put like heat on them. So like literally I was, I mean, I was nursing him like 12 times a day. So I would like, after be done, I would be done eating it or feeding him. I would, um, have to take like warm compresses on my boobs. It would take like 20 minutes to get back to normal. And then like 30 minutes later, he'd want to eat again. And it was like this horrible, like vicious cycle. And then eventually they went away and I was just, I knew I wanted to breastfeed. I was very determined. My son was gaining weight. Like, and so I was lucky in that, that like, really I was the only one like, you know, suffering. So that made it easier. Um, and yeah, so we powered through and by 12 weeks, like everything was totally fine. We were in a rhythm, like we had it down. He was obviously bigger. So that helped with his latch and we just got more comfortable. And now he's six and a half months old and we're exclusively nursing and everything's amazing. So, you know, I just think one, that when you're breastfeeding, you need to, I think nursing on demand is the way to go. I think a lot of women end up having supply issues because they're like doing the initial like three to four hours. And when they're newborn, like they sometimes need to eat more than that. And they'll tell you when they're hungry. So follow baby's lead is my one piece of my big biggest piece of advice. But then my second piece of advice is don't give up on your worst day because it gets better. Mm, I love those two recommendations for sure. For sure.
And what you said about breastfeeding, that the best way to learn it is actually watching more than reading. And, you know, it's never too early to start. So while you're pregnant, I would recommend find your Lilithia League closest meeting and go and watch people breastfeed. It's not going to be weird. They're not going to think, oh, you're pregnant. I was really lucky that my sister was nursing. So, like, I was over there all the time. And, like, I would, yeah. And she would show me and help me and... I would like send pictures of my latch to my my best friend and be like, does this look okay? Or like FaceTime her when I was nursing and yeah. Yeah, so. yeah. Do that. Find a breastfeeding cafe, whatever it is, and watch the videos online. I'll put links on the resources on the show notes for the for natural sure. breastfeeding video um, because newborns breastfeed differently. And Absolutely. I think, you know, I do want to stress like, even though it's, a lot of people have cracked nipples and that like that is it shouldn't be like breastfeeding right. it means that there's a problem there's a problem so, if your right. nipples are being are deteriorating there's a problem so breastfeeding should not hurt at all ever i i don't i know I, whatever they say it should not yeah. hurt so if yeah. there's something if hurting get help, get help immediately because then yeah. then you end up with cracked nipples and it's it hurts more and you've got to do some healing yeah. and like it just snowballs it just into worse. that much more difficult once you are cracked and bleeding because then it's like even if you feel like you're getting like i felt like i had no choice but to take a couple of days off and i but i realized that it's a risky move like you can develop the nipple confusion and Luckily, James has always been fine going back and forth. He doesn't really get bottles much anymore, but... Well, and you did the paste bottle feeding, which is actually... I don't think there's so much nipple confusion as as flow 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 preference. Yeah. Yeah. So I use like slow flow nipples and I did the paste bottle feeding, which I just Googled a video like on YouTube and and watched a couple of different videos. And I was very adamant, like anyone that was giving him a bottle, like to make sure they were doing that, which it was mostly my husband doing it, but... um, yeah, and that just helps make them work for the milk while on a bottle as much as they have to work for the milk for on the sure. breast. Because yeah. if it's just the free flow, gravity fed into their bellies, they're like, why do I have to work? Give me that other yeah. thing that, you know, doesn't develop sure. my jaw the same and all those things. One um, all, one resource I found uh, for breastfeeding also was this podcast called The Boob Group. Yeah. And I really, it's it's a fun podcast and I still listen to it now. Um, you know, there's lots of like recommendations and, you know, there's so many different topics. I listen to all of like the early breastfeeding things, but now there's stuff that's like nursing a baby that's over six months. And, you know, like every episode is, is kind of a different topic on breastfeeding, but I, I really like that podcast too. Mm, I love that podcast too. I'll put it on the show. I'll put all the stuff that you said on the show notes for people. Um, and, (laughs) Yeah. Do you have any other resources that I should add to that? Um, I think I think I named everything initially, like those books I read. I also read Ina May's Guide to Childbirth. I think a lot of people read that, um, and that's a good one. I I think listening to birth stories is really awesome. I mean, obviously your experience isn't going to be what anyone else's is, but listening to how people handle different situations and kind of all these different ways of how your birth and labor could go, I just think it's I think it's awesome. And I still listen to birth stories all the time because I'm obsessed. And yeah, I just think it's awesome. And it's such a great resource. So I see some birth work in your future. I don't yeah. know if this is just going <laughs> to be a hobby. Like you need to be a doula. And I was like, well, I have a small baby. Like maybe when I'm done having kids, I'll look into it. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. 
when the timing's yeah, right. I agree. I love it. My my best friend is um is going to school to be a nurse practitioner right now, and she's doing her OB rotation and. I am like, every time you go to the hospital, you need to text me and tell me everything that's happening. Like, I need to know all about every birth that you're a part of. <laughs> and so she'll text me and be like, I'm here right now and this is happening. And I just love it. I just eat it up. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Marco, thank you so, so much for being on the show today and sharing your story. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It was It was a great experience. I'm excited. I'm excited. Thank you. Mighty Ones, check out the in-depth show notes for this episode at birthful.com, where you can learn more about me, the show, Patreon member benefits, send me messages, and more. I'm also on Facebook or Twitter as at birthful, so come say hi. And if you're in the last months of pregnancy and feeling unprepared for going home with a new baby, then go register for my Thrive With Your Newborn online postpartum preparation classes at birthfulcourses.com so you can get ready and even enjoy those first few weeks with your newborn. This episode was produced by me and made possible by you, the Birthful Patreon supporters, and by the wonderful people at Simply Breastfeeding and Expectful. The title song for this podcast is Vives by Kevin McLeod, and the sponsorship song is Air Hockey Saloon by Chris Zabriskie. Find them both at freemusicarchive.org. Also, the Birthful Podcast is part of the Parents on Demand Network. Learn more at parentsondemand.com where you can get their free app. I'm Adriana Lozada. Please join me Wednesday when I'll be talking to another maternity pro to inform your intuition here at the Birthful Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>